Hey everybody, welcome to the very first episode of Off the Couch, where each week we will be taking a closer look at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I am also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything that we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today I am joined by my Off the Couch co-host, Brendan Leonard, the creator of Semirad.com and the producer of the film, How to Run 100 Miles. Since this is our inaugural episode, Brendan and I thought that it would be fitting to talk a bit about our respective running backgrounds, how our relationships to running have evolved over the years, at what point do you get to call yourself a quote-unquote runner, and finally, Brendan basically tries to convince me that Strava can function as something like a modern-day spiritual exercise. This Off the Couch podcast is presented by the CBG Trails app, which is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley. You're going to hear me talk a bit in this episode about the trail network here in the Gunnison Valley, and I'd encourage all of you to download the CBG Trails app today and start exploring for yourselves. And now, here it is, Off the Couch, episode number one. Hey, Brendan, how are you today? I'm, I'm great, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing okay. This is episode one. We are officially doing this. And I think this is going to be a little bit of the topic of conversation today, like what, why there is a little bit of hesitancy about doing this. And so I think we're going to actually explore that a little bit because I think it's quite germane to running in general and sort of this bigger question that at least I've been thinking about for a very long time, like when do you actually get to call yourself a runner or think of yourself as a runner? So I think our mission here today is to get to some of those broader questions by me asking you a bit about your own background with running or relationship with running. And I might chime in a little bit on some of my own background as well. So to that end, I guess I want to ask you, when did you start running? That's funny because, yeah, I mean, you think like, oh, didn't we all start running in probably gym class and like whatever, whenever gym class started third or fourth grade, right? Like. When was the first time you had to do the, the mile for the presidential physical fitness test? I, I think that's probably when, right? I don't know. I mean, I think the answer is actually that the vast majority of humans that have ever populated the planet, like actually literally started running when they were babies, right? And so I think actually maybe the weirder thing is that the vast majority of us started running when we were very, very young. And then at some point, we either kind of stop or at some point we, we go on and do it, like you said, uh, in, for some presidential fitness test or something like that. Yeah, I, I guess I would think my first memory of doing it on purpose on my own was to try to run a fast mile in grade school, whatever it was. And I, there was a, a period, I was just talking to my mom about this, where my mom was a runner when I was growing up, like ran five miles, five days a week in a row every week for like 10 years. Right. And so she always had running shoes. And when she moved on to her next pair of running shoes, my feet were the same size and she had bought, you know, running shoes that were not like bright pink. So I would, I would wear her running shoes and I would go run like a mile or something, you know, down the street and back. And, um, that's like my first memory of 
doing it on purpose, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to run to go for a run. Yeah. And you know, I, I started, I think like a lot of people, like as a little kid in kindergarten, elementary school, like we're playing kickball out at recess and there's basketball and there's soccer and there's football. And somehow I guess that never counted as running because there was always some ball involved. So if you put a ball there and that you're trying to throw into a hoop or uh, kick into a goal, that somehow doesn't count as running, even though you're running the entire time. I mean, the bigger question is, I guess, is like, do you really care if you call yourself a runner, you know, as opposed to a climber or a skier, something like that? Yeah. And I think that maybe, I guess I do because even now or in the last couple of years, if someone's like, are you a runner? I would probably answer like, well, I run. And maybe it's because I spent a lot of time denying. I'd always say like running is stupid. Like if you aren't, <laughs> if, if you aren't like, if you aren't playing soccer or football or basketball and doing something like that has this different end than just getting somewhere. And so I, I would actually be, maybe this is mostly just a, an apology for all the kind of militantly anti-running remarks I used to make. But I think that is why it is an interesting question, to me at least. And the other thing that I have wondered about is whether that has kept a lot of people away from the activity. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like, they're like, actually, no, like, I'd much rather play basketball or go skiing or something. I don't actually think that running in and of itself is the greatest thing a person can do in this world. So I guess I'm not a runner. Huh. It's funny because it's the only sport you would learn in, in, I guess, my like very basic American education, you know, public high school that you probably can still do when you're 50 or 60, you know, to, to a point versus like, God, if I went on a basketball court right now, I think there would be a lot of things that would snap, you know, yeah. trying to make <laughs> abrupt movements, you know, like, geez, uh, just trying to jump and like block a shot. I would be worried something was going to go wrong, but I can go run a marathon, you know, tomorrow if I want to, you know. Or you can go run two blocks tomorrow, right? Like I, I don't yes. think I could go run a marathon. I mean, I could sign up for a marathon and I could start one. I'm not sure tomorrow I could finish one or if I did, I definitely wouldn't be able to walk for like seven days. Yeah, if somebody runs one mile a day or one mile three times a week or they run a marathon every week, we're all doing the same sport, right? But I, I think like media, we always focus on fast people. Like you don't care who got 30th in the Boston Marathon. The headline is who got first in each category and that's it. And we don't, we don't talk about people who tried their best and, and finished 120th. Those are the people I, I identify with, you know. So when did... You know, you said, was it first grade that maybe you ran your first mile to sort of see how fast you could do it? Boy, I want to say it was like sixth or seventh grade, actually. So as an adult, then, when did you start being like, you know, running is actually an activity that I do somewhat regularly as part of my normal life? Well, you know, I like I ran track in high school, like sprints, like 100s and 200s and, and relays. and then did nothing through college. And then when I was, let's see, 26, I was trying to quit smoking cigarettes. So I decided to sign up for a marathon to do that. <laughs> so 
you know, those things are mutually exclusive. You have to quit. <laughs> so I ran a really slow marathon. It was the worst thing I've ever done. It's 2006. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. I just wanted to see if I could do it. And then got away from it for, gosh, I would say almost 10 years. I would every once in a while do a trail run. In Denver, it's pretty hard to find or you don't gravitate towards like really flat trails. So it would really kick my ass when I would go out and try to run up steep hills and trails in the mountains and just kind of would do that every once in a while. And then what was it like 2013? I had been a, a rock climber primarily. It was like really identified with that and it was kind of like not having that much fun with it. And um, a guy had an accident right next to us and we had to help rescue him off of uh, Castleson Tower. Um, so I'd seen this kid literally hit a ledge right next to me. You know, we're on a ledge that's 12 feet wide or whatever. And he decked and landed on his face and went into a seizure immediately. And um, we were up there for six hours, just sort of keeping him company while a rescue was initiated. I kind of realized that I was not having that much fun climbing and still did it for a year. But then after that, I'd always had this fascination or curiosity about ultra running um, and how hard it was and like you kind of wonder you're like god those people are weird and sick and but they run 100 miles and you have this you kind of like i wonder if i could do that so i think in 2016 2000, yeah i started sort of doing the longer races once i found out that you could walk part of them while ultra running i was like oh this i could totally do this you know and that's kind of where i am now it works really well for my for my life to be able to do longer runs on, you know, like that's my big thing for the week is I'll go run whatever, 20, 25 miles as part of a training thing for a longer, longer race. Um, and probably in many ways in the best shape of my life, like it's helped my backcountry skiing, everything else, you're just more fit. And it's, it's not that dangerous really, you know, you might get injured, but you're not going to I've had zero avalanche danger on most of the runs I've done and you're not going to fall and rip out gear and, you know, or get hit by rock fall. That's, that's pretty, pretty not a danger of running. So it's working for me right now. And I think it's a good age, you know, late thirties, early forties is a good age to, to be doing it. I don't know if I'll do it forever, but. Are you currently doing the 25 mile runs even in these winter months? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm signed up for a hundred mile race in June. So I have to kind of keep it going. Well, and you know, winter where I live is a lot different than winter where you live, dude. So, I mean, it's in Denver, it's, you know, we don't, we have snow on the ground right now, but that's, I think that's not the norm. You know, it usually will dump and then it'll melt. Um, and so you run with, in a little snow, but it's not, it's not like Crested Butte. It's not six degrees and a foot of snow on everything for the whole winter. So it's, it's a much easier thing to do. I have to drive to go skiing, you know, like I have to go find the skiing. You're, you're in the skiing and would have to drive to find dry trails. We're sort of opposites. So, yeah, by the way, I was going to say on my quest to identify, like, what is a runner? I think that in my like little, you know, kind of hamster brain, if you run in winter, you are a runner. That's enough. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, like I don't even care if you're like, yeah, I go out three times a week and I run four blocks and come back to my apartment. That is sufficient. So as I, as I, you know, try to sort this out, at least for myself, if no one else, if you run in the winter, you are a runner, you get to call yourself that. So I have a lot of respect for that. But you are, you are right. Currently, like currently Crested Butte is basically Japan. 
Like it's crazy. So like I, I skied some of the deepest snow of my life yesterday here. And so, um, yeah, I like that you're letting me off the hook a little bit because it, it's been a minute since I've run outside. I, I feel like you've, uh, you've given me permission to just enjoy skiing for the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, you should like that would be ridiculous not to actually that's how I kind of feel is that I'm missing out on one of the best snow seasons in the front range uh, for the last five years by like running so much. But, you know, I got I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And I don't know, I, I feel like the thing I like about running is that everybody knows what it feels like, right? If you're even if you haven't run in 20 years, you can still call up that memory of being like, oh, yeah, I've tried to run a really fast mile, you know, or whatever it was, or we all know what it feels like to a certain extent compared to if you've never rock climbed, you see that stuff and it, those people might as well be walking on the moon, you know, like, wow, that just looks insane. You can't really get into that headspace, but we've all run at some point, you know, um, almost everyone. Can I give you a little bit about my background with running? Please do. So I think this is a little bit part of why I used to just say things like I hate running and like people who like love running more than anything, like what's wrong with you? There's so many interesting things in the world. Well, I think where this comes from is, you know, like I said, I was that little kid who was constantly outside. And given that I didn't grow up in the mountains, I was constantly on a, on a kickball field or soccer field or basketball court or football field, right? So I was always running but never just to run. And then in high school, I guess just like you, and I'd forgotten this, Brendan, I also was a sprinter and I ran the 100 and the 200, but I did it as a training for football. I was a wide receiver. So I wasn't in track and field because I loved running. I was in it because it was training to run faster for football explicitly. And I never got more nervous before any sporting event ever than I would before a track race, before a 100 or a 200. And I was n nauseous. And I never, <laughs> I never felt that way before a football game or soccer game or basketball game. And I think the reason for me, and this is something that I did not like about competitive running, there was one way to win and sort of only one. And that was, it's simply whoever gets to that, the end of that track fastest. Whereas in football and basketball and soccer, somebody else may have been taller or quicker or stronger. But if I was a better dribbler or passer or shooter, there were different ways to make up. Like in a sprint, there is no strategy, right? It's just fast twitch explosion, who gets there first. And I raced against some pretty good people. So like I was going to get beat more times than not. And that made me mad. And I, I didn't have the workaround. And I think that the, that is the problem is that running for me first was always, always in the service as just training for these other activities. And then in the competition itself, well, it was a competition and there was, there was one way to win. There weren't 10 different kind of strategies to set up. Like I lost more in track than I think I ever did in like football or basketball. And I think that kind of created maybe the, not the healthiest relationship to running. Oh, I said, and it's all on you. You're not going around looking around going like, yeah, if 
one of the other 10 people on the field hadn't done their job. And I think as adults, you know, you don't see a lot of 100 meter races for adults. Nobody's interested in just going out and getting, you know, like I don't I wouldn't I would guess that most of the people I would say 80 percent of the people who are running uh, organized events as adults are probably running mostly against themselves, right, to improve themselves versus I'm going to try to beat this other person. And I think that's that's what the value has been for me. You know, I'm, I'm not even going to get close to like the middle of the pack, but this is pretty fun to do otherwise. And in a hundred meter race, yeah, there's nothing right. There's no, like, there's not a lot of things you can do besides be super fast. You know, you start getting into the longer distances. Yeah. There's a little strategy and pacing, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's, that's tough. Plus if you're really competitive, that's, you know, which I might be. Oh, and I'm not at all. I like, don't, <laughs> don't care. Like, except with myself. Right. Like, mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, yeah, for years, it was like, yeah, running stupid. And I think then I've had an interesting sort of return to running because again, I would run, but I would always run because, you know, I was playing football in college and, and, uh, you know, or run in the off season and basketball, et cetera. So I would do it, but I wasn't a runner. And I think that there's been two pretty important things for me in the last several years. One, I started this company called Blister, where suddenly all we do is write these incredibly long reviews about all of this gear. And, you know, my stuff was primarily happening on the on the ski side. So all of these long reviews about skis and ski boots and apparel and goggles and the rest. And it became incredibly refreshing for me that in the off season, I could literally just throw on a pair of shorts and shoes and go out the door and I was doing that thing. That was it, right? There, there was no driving to mountains. There were no complicated photo shoots or videos to, to, to produce. You just got to stop work, put on a pair of shoes, go outside in the sun and you were doing the thing. And I loved that the, the non-gear intensive nature of running. And it was really, it became a really refreshing thing for me to do. So that, that was kind of, I think, a bit of bringing me back to running. And, and then it didn't have anything to do with competition, right? As opposed to my like sort of previous relationship to running. The other thing I'll just say quickly is, you know, I then had a really bad backcountry skiing accident in July, 2017, where like, I broke my neck very badly and probably should have been dead or paralyzed and fortunately wasn't paralyzed, had surgery, still have the metal in my neck from that. But man, my surgeon was like, cool, you didn't die in the accident. I didn't paralyze you on the operating table, but now like do not fall down at all or do anything. You know, because he's like, if you do anything weird that rips this hardware out of your neck, we go and do this surgery all over again. And if you if you tear something in the process, you still have this chance to get paralyzed. So this guy didn't want me to get out of bed. And the the little thing that he would let me do was just go on walks. And so post surgery. That's literally the only activity I was allowed to do, just walks. 
And I would start doing that. Like I'd go on these 45 minute to hour long walks every single day wearing a cervical collar with everybody looking at me on the, you know, the walking path, like I was a weirdo, but that was just a, like, that was kind of therapy and would keep me sane. And then finally, after several months, he, with like trepidation was like, okay, I'm going to let you now start jogging, like just, but Jesus, do not fall over. Like you are <laughs> not trail running. You are not on off cambered pitches. He's like, seriously, man, you have to understand like the serious consequences that can result from any kind of fall. So I wasn't allowed to lift. I wasn't allowed. I certainly wasn't skiing yet or anything like that. This became like a new source of freedom in a way that running had never been for me. And I think that is what really maybe for the first time for me, running wasn't this competitive thing where I was most likely going to lose in a 200 yard dash to somebody stronger and, and faster. Um, this is kind of maybe the first time for me that there was a healthy orientation to running. And I think that's when I really did just start. St I st stopped bad mouthing running and started really appreciating the discipline of it and that activity and the therapy of running. And that's kind of my little story. The question about that then is, do you, so this being the beginning of the, well, close to the beginning of the year and also sort of where ski season will be tailing down uh, pretty soon, do you actually have any goals for running for 2019? It's a very good question. And I think the, really the primary goal for me is most of the running that I had done you know, since this backcountry ski accident, there was not a lot of trail running involved in this. Part of it's because I've been wildly busy in, in this time. And the other thing was, I mean, right off the bat, like I said, literally the surgeon was like, I am absolutely forbidding you to get on any kind of rocky, rooty, off-camber stuff. But now in this like absolutely magnificent trail system, that I'm fortunate enough to live in here in Crested Butte in the Gunnison Valley. This is really the thing for me. Like I developed this new relationship and really a love of going running. Now I get to kind of take this out and go do a ton of trail exploration. And that's a whole new component. It's not that I've never run trails before, but this is, I think, going to become like a weekly and multiple times a week new discipline for me on incredible trails in like a wildly beautiful place. And I'm just really excited to see what that evolves into. So I am definitely not about to tell you how like, yeah, I'm running my first 50 or first, you know, 100K or anything like that. I think that's the honest answer is like, we're just going to open up running and, and go explore like a really, really impressive trail system. And even, even if you're not in an area like Crested Butte, it's I've had fun visiting my parents back in Iowa and they have a little bit of a um, sort of rails to trails bike path system, but I've really enjoyed running on dirt roads in Iowa of which there are just thousands of miles of them, but they're this place to go. That's like, it's not quite a trail. It's a huge wide dirt road. Um, but you get to see, you know, basically what is what qualifies as the backcountry of a lot of the US, you know, that doesn't have these giant swaths of public land, but it's cool. And you see a handful of cars and that's about it. And you're, you're in 
like that's your trail, which is super cool. And if your doctor doesn't want you to run trails with roots and rocks and stuff, like I think Jeep roads in the West are pretty fascinating and, you know, uh, fire roads like, yeah, it's not it's not single track, but it's a really cool way to explore where places where basically only Jeeps go, even if you don't have a Jeep, you know. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think that that's kind of the power of running, too, is if you happen to be in San Francisco or if you happen to be in like incredibly rural Ohio, if you know, if you don't know the area, you are going on an adventure and kind of an exploratory mission um, in ways that all that is really required is putting on a pair of shoes or guess maybe not even that. That's probably something we're going to explore quite a bit in future episodes, like some of the different takes on running, right? Barefoot versus shoes and the rest. But it's just, you go out your front door and you are kind of inherently on an exploratory mission. And that's something I definitely did not give running enough credit for back in the day. Also the drugs, which is neat. Something you don't get in a lot of sports, which is endorphins, you know. <laughs> also the drugs. I was like, where are you going with this, Brendan? I mean, I don't, I don't think they start until about five miles for me. But after that, they start to kick in. You're like, oh, I'm having fun now. Like, why is that? Oh, it's chemicals in my brain. Yeah. And I, I met this guy at a book signing several years ago that he had uh, been struck by lightning in the mountains and had chronic pain in his feet and other areas because of it. But he said that if he did something big in the mountains, like a long mountaineering route or mixed climbing or something like that, that he could get endorphins to last up to 10 days to two weeks. And that's how he dealt with chronic pain. Fascinating thing. And I think about that when I go do these long runs and your, your body has no choice but to start kicking in adrenaline and endorphins after a while. And you're like, oh, that'll, that'll continue for the next couple of days. And I'll, I'll be very calm at home. And, you know, two or three days after you're done running, you're like, oh, my foot hurts. What happened? Um, it's because because of that, it was masking the pain or whatever. But that's another fascinating, fascinating thing about it. So you yourself have experienced that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, I don't know if, I don't know about two weeks, but it's, yeah, uh, definitely several days where like, why does my foot hurt now? And it didn't hurt all day when I was running or the day after. It's because it, it can take a couple of days for it to, for that stuff to wear off and for the pain to actually register. You talked a bit about your current routine with running. How much time are you like actually thinking about running? Like given the different projects you're doing and things you're either writing or, or film ideas or the rest. I mean, is this occupying a big, a big portion of your mental space these days? Like, and like relative to where it's been, you know, when you came out with the film, how to run a hundred miles, et cetera. Only because I procrastinate the like the runs that I have to do, it probably takes some, some days, even if I'm only running like for 45 minutes or an hour, it, I think about it for eight hours because like, well, that's what I, I got to do that today. That's on my to-do list. And then I put it off until 5 PM. Like I gotta go, I still gotta go running. So, so it's, it takes up some mental space for sure. Um, but I also think about it in the context of, uh, work, um, the parallels of work and running and, um, how to get results and, and things like that and improvement or constant improvement over the span of life. So I'm always looking for parallels for that. And like I, I had this slideshow I did where I compared running a hundred miles to 
I had to dig four post holes in our yard to put up a fence and I just, whatever, whatever was going on, I didn't want to go to like Home Depot and rent a post hole digger and I didn't want to buy one because I didn't want to own one and have it sitting in the garage for who knows when you would dig another post hole. So I just went out there with a shovel and a garden trowel and you have to dig a two foot deep hole. So it, it took a while and I'm out there just like an idiot, you know, digging these two foot deep holes with this, this tiny garden trowel thinking people, if people see this from across the street as they're walking by, they probably think I'm just crazy. And it took forever. And I was like, yeah, but this is exactly what you need to, to run 50 miles or 25 miles or hundred miles. Cause it takes for a long time, right? You're like, you have, you're, you're telling yourself, this is stupid. I should quit almost the entire time. Cause it's, you know, not that fun for a lot of it. And you just like, yeah, I'll just keep going. Maybe I'll get to the finish line. So there's all sorts of parallels about like that. And, you know, uh, that, I, that I'm interested in. So I think about it a bit more than just doing the thing itself. And one of the things I think is interesting about you and the conversations that we've been having recently and certainly in the lead up to this, this off the couch project is you spend a lot of time finding the characters in running, right? And it's, you're, and it's isn't just who won whatever big race last weekend. And that's been one of the most interesting things that I've sort of taken so far in the conversations we've had. You're like, I met this one guy at this one race and, um, and then directors and all of these different folks. And I think that really has been significant for me in terms of, again, I'm like the newbie on this path, right? I'm the pilgrim here. You're the one who keeps expanding this world for me. And like, look, there's all these different facets and areas and look at the coverage and look at all these people, all these um, places that don't get a bright light shown on them. That's been pretty interesting. And I, and I guess that's what motivated my question. If if that's still, if you still find yourself in this space of just, I don't know, I guess being on the lookout in, in the, in the corners. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of interesting stories with really successful athletes, but there's even more fun stories to get out of people who are, oh yeah, I just started running to lose weight. And now here I am at the starting line of my first 50 mile race. And geez, I don't know how this is going to go, you know? And like, that's a cool place to be. I kind of dig the people who are working jobs and have families and somehow make time to keep doing this as opposed to people who are really successful at it and potentially always have been in some way, you know, that's not where I came from. That's not really where you came from. I sort of wish I had run in high school instead of playing football because I don't think a lot of the guys who are on the cross country team are going, geez, I wonder if I have brain damage now from, you know, hitting, hitting helmets with people. They're like, no, we ran. It was cool. That's really interesting. Is that true? Like, do you, in, in hindsight, you wish you would have run cross country? I think I'd have to think about it really hard to think about some of the lessons I got from football, but yeah, I wish I would have stayed in marching band too. I mean, to be honest with you, like that was cool playing the drums. Like, I mean, it wasn't cool, but it'd be cool now, you know, cause I don't, <laughs> I don't go out and play football, you know, I haven't played in a football, in a pickup football game in what, 20 years. Like, it's like, but I could go jam at the jazz jam down the street here in, you know, every Monday night if I was, if I'd kept playing the drums or some other instrument. So, yeah. So I don't know. And, you know, running is just something you can do your whole life compared to football. You, whenever you quit playing, whether it's in junior high, high school or college, you, the next thing you can do with it is become a fan or a coach, you know, and that's not, most of us just become fans and it doesn't, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't work for me. 
um, to do that on weekends. So a hundred percent. And yeah, that was something like when I was utterly obsessed with, I, I always tell, I, I think I said this, Brendan, when we were, when we were on stage at, at, uh, at Western Colorado university, you know, for this blister speaker series, I think I said like kind of growing up, I, I, I cared about football and basketball and there wasn't a third thing. And I was too dumb to realize like, you, you know, like, Hey, this is going to end real soon. The, the tiny smallest percentage will go on to be a professional, um, a very small percentage go on to play in college, which I did, but I had a career ending injury, which, you know, shut things down early for me. And I, I do really, you, you've said this now a couple times in this conversation, and it definitely resonates with me. This is one of those activities you can do for the vast majority of your life. And that's quite cool. And I, and I do think for me too, I'm very much at that point where the focus for me is on skiing. That's where if I'm, when I'm getting out and not working, well, I'm going skiing to work because I've got a bunch of reviews to do. But in that off season, when I'm not running, I just don't feel nearly as good physically, right? And so it's like, this is this thing you get to do your whole life and it doesn't require a ton of gear to go do it. In a lot of, for many of us, we can walk out our front door in the city or wherever we happen to live and like go on a run and you get to feel, or at least for me, like I just feel really good when I'm doing that at least two or three or four times a week. It's kind of winning on a lot of fronts. Yeah. And the other thing is that you can start when you're 50, you know, you can start when you're, when you're looking in the mirror going, I need to lose 75 pounds, a hundred pounds. You like can start walking around your block or your local park. And then eventually you can run a few steps and, you know, it's just a great thing for, I just think self-improvement later in life too. I see people around the park all the time and there's like one fast guy, you know, and then the rest of us are just out there like in various stages of trying to get better at something, you know, whether, whether we're running a mile and we're, we're trying to lose 150 pounds or like, you know, if we're, we're trying to train for a marathon or whatever, you know, like you rarely see somebody who's actually, you would go, oh, that person's a runner. You know, the rest of us are just out there shuffling along, trying to do our thing, which I think is really cool. Agreed. Before we go, we should, uh, I have, I have an idea for you. I don't know if you're on Strava, but I think it might be a good experiment for you since we are doing a running podcast for you to get on Strava in some fashion for 2019 and, and experiment with it. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you should go. Oh no. <laughs> but I mean, I had, uh, I had resistance to being on Strava at first. I was like, oh, that's for just like hyper competitive people who are trying to, you know, whatever, be, be better than somebody else in their, in their city at running a certain section of trail. And I, I started doing it as a private user. Like no one else could see my, see my stuff for a long time because I just wanted accurate um, measurements of elevation gain for my runs. And, and then I, you know, I like had a couple people follow me or whatever. I, I made it public and started following a couple of my friends who live in different uh, places, you know, just to see how they're doing. And it's actually kind of cool to see what people do. And you can, you know, you can say, yes, you can follow me or no or whatever. And I think it, before I was like, oh, I'm just kind of shy about being super slow. And now I just don't care, you know, like whatever. Um, but it's, it's really cool to see what other people are doing. And um, 
my wife follows two people, um, me and her sister who lives in New Zealand and they have spent their whole lives with sort of having this running as a big chunk of their relationship. And now they can't see each other on a, on a daily basis or, or even, you know, monthly basis, but they like can see what each other are up to, you know, Oh, where did you run? Oh, cool. There's some photos of your run. Looks like you did this really fast. You, you, you must be training for something. So it's become this other avenue of communication for them. But I wonder if you should do it as an experiment and see, see where it takes you. Oh man. So this is so, okay. It is interesting to me in the sense of like my, my visceral reaction of like, oh no. I mean, I do keep like, I use some app that I don't even know what the name of it is to just like, yeah, you got your, whatever distance you were going for on this day. Like, yep, you got that. And here's your time. And, and I do look at average speeds and stuff like that. But I think perhaps that visceral reaction was because it probably does go back to like, I'm not, I don't want to get sucked back into the competitive element of this. And you just did a great job of explaining like, dude, it doesn't have to be that. Right. And frankly, maybe this is the like spiritual exercise of Strava where it's like, hey, how about don't be an asshole and don't let yourself get sucked into those old competitive patterns? Like you just said, you're like, I don't care. I don't care if people know how fast or slow I was running. Like there's probably um, that probably is actually a good um, spiritual exercise of like letting go of the ego or like competitiveness like unhealthy competitiveness or something so for you yeah for a competitive person well you know what else is interesting i think it also shows you how contrived everything we do is you know where you're like once you get on strava and like i don't do you know i don't like try to do specific segments but i just run around it's denver city park it's like so the largest park in denver and there's a trail around the outside sort of you know like Part of its sidewalk or whatever and you get done with your run and it's, you know strava says oh congratulations you had your third fastest time on this segment and you kind of click and you're like what is that and it's like it's like the 300 yards between the police station and the museum and like somebody named it a segment so it became a segment and then some you know there's like the list of the top 50 people who've done that and i, I had this idea at one point I'm like maybe i should just try to beat like try to be number one at a segment and and then, of course, I was like, I tried to run fast one day. I'm like, that's not going to happen, you know, <laughs> but some of them are so contrived. They're like the short downhill section between 17th and 19th or whatever, you know, and they, they have these funny names. And like, I don't know that the number one person in all those segments is like really competitive or they just happen to run it fast and they're not paying attention. But if, when you think about it, you're like, what if you did just get obsessed and try to be the fastest person at running this little section in a city, you know, and it's sort of like everything we do is contrived. You know, the, the hundred meter dash is like this sort of, yeah, it's a, a unit of measurement, but it, if you go back to it, like what is it based on and why is this a measuring stick for who's the fastest? And then why is the four, why are we doing the steeple chase? You know, why is there, a, why are we jumping off hurdles over a puddle of water, you know, like to prove uh, okay, you know, sports in general is always like that sort of like, how contrived is it? And I think, I think Strava brings that into sharp focus for me, for sure. Man, you are really pulling this like super jujitsu move on me right now. Cause truly, 
truly, full disclosure, even though you told me not to badmouth Strava, I have always kind of looked at people on Strava as like freaking weirdos. Like that's the type A obsessive, probably wear a lot of Lycra and spandex, like, you know, like overly intense. And like, like I said, that's not what I'm trying to have my relationship to running be like. And you just basically presented Strava as a spiritual exercise. That was the jujitsu move. Well, I think a competitive person like yourself going into Strava is like an alcoholic going into the bar, like being like, okay, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to hang out with my friends and have some nachos and then I'm going to go home. And then you have to keep doing it and doing it. And then finally you're like, yeah, this is okay. I'm fine. But I don't know. And I don't think everybody on Strava is like that for sure. You know? No, I'm, that was obviously, that's obviously a huge generalization on my part and a, and a caricature. But damn it, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, which makes me uncomfortable and I don't like right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can always, you can do it privately for a little while and like kind of be like, oh, maybe I'll follow this person and this person. You can, you can also find new trails with it, you know, or find new routes um, because you can, especially on a laptop, you can look at it and see elevation gain and, uh, you know, certain things like that that you may not be able to find somewhere else. Well, who knew? Uh, having a conversation with you would leave me with something to consider and think about. Um, <laughs> damn it. Well, this was an interesting, I did not see this first conversation getting us into a consideration of Strava as a spiritual exercise. I definitely did not see that coming. But what this does reinforce for me is that I think this is going to be an interesting experiment and project where you know, I, I said this in like the teaser little episode we dropped for Off the Couch, like this is going to be about the wide, weird and wonderful world of running. And I, I honestly just think that's going to be true and that I think I'm going to learn a lot about this activity and everything that has kind of sprung up around it. I'm going to learn a lot on this, uh, this little journey of ours, I think. So um, I am very much looking forward to that. If I can't yet say that I'm looking forward to experiments with Strava. Yeah. Well, I think I hope we both learned a lot from it. Yeah. Well, Brendan, thanks for this. And this was actually, I really enjoyed just learning more about your own orientation and background to running. And I love the fact that you quit smoking by signing up for a marathon. That actually really fits with sort of everything I know about you. Um, <laughs> so congrats on that. Yeah. But I'm just looking forward to um, seeing where this all goes and where this leads. And oh, this will be, this is going to be really fun. Well, hey, as always, it's great to talk and uh, we'll do it again very soon. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Brendan. Well, that's a wrap on this very first episode of Off the Couch. Thanks to Brendan Leonard for the conversation. And if you'd like to hear more about Brendan's background and work, I recently interviewed him as part of the Blister Speaker Series at Western Colorado University. And you can find that conversation under our Blister podcast feed. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to keep moving forward and we will talk to you again next week.